Welcome to Season 2 of Community, a podcast by Sisos Africa. Last season, we focused on the effects of COVID-19 within various communities in Uganda, from artists to workers to doctors to businessmen and women. This season, we set alight our campfire with stories and conversations on giving within our communities. Join us as we unpack and celebrate giving in Uganda and across the continent. We would love to hear from you. You can catch us every Thursday on Anchor or on the Source website. Welcome to today's conversation. In conversation today is my good friend and namesake, Alan Asimwe. Alan, you're very welcome. Can you please tell our listeners a bit about yourself? Thank you, Jackie. I'm Alan Asimwe. I'm mother of two teenage children, a girl and a boy, Daniela and Georgie. I'm a lawyer. I'm an activist. I have so many multiple roles in my life. On one side, I'm a professional trade professional working with a trademark. And on the other side, I also support young women. I believe in the power of girls to lead. And so together with my friends, we created Girls for Girls, which is now a global mentoring organization. Yeah. Um, so today we are talking to, to you in your capacity as a professional in, in the area of trade. Alan works for Trademark East Africa. Several of our countries in East Africa are implementing various lockdown measures or coming out of COVID in, in different ways. And I know during the time when it had just hit, I'm sure trade was one of those things that was challenged. And we just want to hear from you as a person on the front lines. What was it like when things were locked down? How was trade happening? I think, and, I, and this conversation is important because I think, yes, goods get to our shelves and to our markets, but we sort of don't think about the, the process and the people ensuring that that process is happening. Uh, that's a very pertinent question. And I, I think I'll start from a point on, on, on March 10th. Mm-hmm. I was at the border of Busia. I was talking to women who deal in fish, dried fish, fresh fish, fish that comes all the way from Lake Turkana in northern Kenya, fish that comes all the way from Lake Victoria, fish that comes all the way from Lake Albert. This fish is collected in this place at Busia, dried, sorted, uh, salted, and sold all across eastern central Africa, Mm -hmm. all the way to DRC, all the way to Tanzania, all the way down south to Malawi. This trade was booming. All the women in the market had, their livelihoods had changed because mm-hmm. they're able to sell, they're able to trade, and they're able to feed their families. Many women talked about improving their lifestyles. They have mm-hmm. homes. Come March 15th, the first cases were announced. Mm-hmm. I think before even March 15th in the region, in Kenya. Mm-hmm. And everything went downhill from there. What was a vibrant trading economy was suddenly shut down. The East African community, which we live in, which comprises of Kenya, Uganda, Tanzania, Rwanda, Burundi, and South Sudan, has been one of the most foremost trading blocks in Africa, mm-hmm. where trade amongst the people has really increased because we are one community. Yes. So you find people trading between Kenya and Tanzania, between Uganda and Rwanda, yeah. you know, between DRC and Uganda. There's been boosting uh, and, and bustling trade. And then all of a sudden with COVID, the first thing that is closed down are the borders. Because transport, air transport, road transport is seen as a vector of COVID. Looking at how the first cases came into the country through Mm -hmm. air transport. And so all of a sudden you find people's livelihoods are cut off. 
Border communities are stranded. They mm. don't know what to do. As a landlocked country, Uganda feeds off produce that comes from abroad. We do not manufacture, hardly manufacture, so intermediate goods that go into that are used for other produce, for instance, cement, mm-hmm. we have to bring in clinker. No construction can take place without cement. Yeah. We have to import clinker. It comes in all the way from Mombasa. We import all the consumables, even the shirts we wear, the clothes we wear are yes. imported. Yeah. Secondly, we are a transit country. Goods going to South Sudan, goods going to DRC, goods going to Rwanda, pass through Uganda, come through Mombasa and uh, through Uganda to these countries. Food aid that goes to the refugees yes. all comes through uh, this transport. So suddenly you have the borders closed. Border, the, the trucks are held up at the borders. Nothing can come in, nothing can go out. Mm-hmm. Uganda is a food basket in a real sense. Yes, We provide food. Look at all the bananas in eastern Kenya come from Uganda. Eggs, poultry, uh, lots of fresh foods between the countries. Uganda and Rwanda, beans, grain, yeah. If you want to see one of the most bustling grain markets around, go to Busia. Go to the border with Uganda for a, and, and Rwanda for a lot of uh, fresh foods. Border with the DRC and Uganda for a lot of fresh foods, milk, honey, all that is going through the border. So when the borders were closed down, yeah. a lot was impacted. Food security is at risk. Yeah. Livelihoods are at risk. Border communities whose lives are integrated they live on either side of the borders, are at risk. And so COVID has really had such an impact on the region. And what we had seen in the beginning is that most countries sort of took a knee-jerk reaction to dealing with the immediate problem of the country and forgot about the regional block. We saw many countries uh, put down measures without consulting each other. Mm -hmm. We saw many countries enter into uh, lockdowns at country level with different guidelines. When it came to transport, because long-distance drivers we are seen as a transmitter or a vector of COVID, yes. we saw many different directives instituted. For instance, at the border between Uganda and Rwanda, and Rwanda and Tanzania, the Rwandese government said you can only come in if you're two people in the truck and will not allow the trucks to cross over. We'll do what is called transshipment. You move the goods into a Rwandan truck with new drivers so as to mitigate. At the borders between Uganda and Kenya, there were different directives about drivers. Uganda said we'll only allow one or two people in that truck. Kenya was saying, oh, they can be two, the driver and two others. So because you need support, a turn boy yes, and support. Yes. So there were different directives which caused such a bottleneck at the borders. Yeah. And so we found traffic backed up. There was a risk that foodstuffs were not going to come in. Yeah. The basic necessities, even medicine, critical mm-hmm, medicines, mm-hmm, critical mm-hmm. supplies, all our factories, even if we were to produce masks, most of the basic stuff we use is imported. So we, there was a critical risk, and so we had to step in immediately to see how do we support the region to keep the borders open. Wow, so that picture is stark that you've painted. <laughs> and, and I want us to discuss, therefore, what was happening in terms of trade decisions, both at the very high level, as trademark, having to enable trade happen, and suddenly a COVID um, disrupts that, all the way to the truckers and others that who we literally depend on had never even thought about until COVID comes indeed, like you said, and we suddenly remember, oh, they might be disease vectors. And before we started, you were talking about how that same narrative came at the start of the HIV AIDS pandemic as well. So what was 
happening at the top and at the bottom? Maybe I'll just explain briefly, and again, that's a good one. I'll explain briefly what Trademark does. So Trademark came into existence to support the region, reduce the time and cost of doing business. Mm -hmm. It used to take 21 days on average to move a container, say a truck of fuel, from the port of Mombasa to Kampala. Can you imagine 21 days? Yeah, that's why we had lots of stockouts. You'd go to buy fuel and there's hardly yes. any fuel because the turnaround was so slow. Mm -hmm. And so with a number of measures we put in place, including one-stop border posts, which, which allow for quicker uh, uh, processing at the borders, uh, reducing the red tape, improving ICT systems for trade. So, for instance, like with the Revenue Authority, ASICUDA, which is a custom system for clearance of goods. All these measures saw the time reduced to under, say, five days from Mombasa to Kampala, bringing yeah. a container wow. of goods. That's, that it was, was remarkable. Yeah. It was drastic. And then even to cross the border. Yes. People who crossed the border before it would take days at times. Trucks mm -hmm. were lined up for days, for kilometers. And now it was taking less than an hour in some, at like at the border of Busia, between Uganda and Kenya, it would take you less than an hour to cross uh, the border. Come COVID, we are almost seeing some of these benefits eroded. Yes. And remember when the costs are reduced, when the time is reduced, the cost, cost is reduced. Yes. Because when a truck takes 21 days, you have to pay the driver, you have to pay for for for. for them along the journey, that increases the cost of the entire container. Yeah, yeah. The cost, I think, was over $4,500. Mm -hmm. Now it had gone down to $2,700, wow. which was remarkable. Mm -hmm. Which means that goods in there are not going to be as pricey. Yes. Because hopefully the transporters, uh, the, 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 the cost reductions are passed on to the consumer. If the container cost is expensive, the consumer, the consumer. Yes. if you're buying that shirt, they'll factor in the cost yes, of the transport. Yes, so yes. the dress you're wearing and anything, the cost of transport is a big percentage of yes, that. So yes. our aim was to reduce the cost of transport at the cost of doing business. Come COVID, we are now seeing delays again, 60 kilometer tailbacks at the borders because of these conflicting decisions. Yes. Close the border, open the border, yes. have one driver, have two driver, test at the border, don't test at the border. And so there was a lot of confusion because a lot of decisions were being taken at national level without conferring at regional level. But we were pleasantly surprised at the end of April or early May, we had that summit happen for the first time. So okay. the presidents mm -hmm. of the ESC came together. The president of Kenya, of Rwanda, of Uganda, and, and uh, South Sudan came together and agreed a number of measures. Okay. For instance, they agreed that we should not test at the borders because it delays. Mm -hmm. Let us test once at the port of Oregon, origin, sorry, in Mombasa or Dar es Salaam, and then we'll be able to track that person ensure they're not mingling with the community mm -hmm. and that the trace results are valid. They are not forged. They yes, are valid. Because yes. one of the key issues is the trust. Yes. Will the Ugandan health officials trust that this certificate from a Kenyan driver is valid? Yeah. So what Trademark has now been doing is to support these mm -hmm. directives. Mm -hmm. So we have created an app together with the East African community that is able to track drivers. It's actually being launched next week. Okay. It's an amazing technology being created by our teams and with the teams from the ESC and, and, and others from the region where you're able to uh, the, the certificates. So a truck driver gets a certificate for COVID, positive, negative certificate rather. You're able to put it online. It's online immediately. So the whole process is automated, reducing the need for paper, mm -hmm. reducing the need for, because paper is just another vector. Yes. And at each border, this driver went with this certificate and it has to be stamped and everyone is holding it and so we've this app has been we've trained drivers we've trained transporters and we hope to launch it there's been a lot of acceptance because the drivers themselves used to the old system which was fast 
are now really being inconvenienced with very slow processes. Mm -hmm. So there's been a lot of acceptance and unwillingness to use this system to track. You're able to track all the journey uh, from the point of origin to point of destination. So if this tracker is taking goods to South Sudan, say maybe they're carrying refugee materials for refugees, you're able to track the journey and so that it restores confidence among the officials that we are able to know mm -hmm. if this person they are, who are their contacts are and all yeah okay. wow yeah. then we are, another thing maybe i should sure. say is we are also to restore the confidence of the officials we've provided ppe mm -hmm. for all officials mm -hmm. at the borders mm -hmm. at the port of mombasa the border post malaba busia uh, the borders with rwanda borders with south sudan with DRC, so that even the officials themselves are confident that they are safe. So masks, gloves, boots, yeah, food, kids, yeah, yeah. yeah, to last for at least a few months. So had had we ever thought about integrating trade and health previously at our border points, or this has been a big learning? It's a big learning lesson. There are international protocols for dealing with health. So we already had Ebola, and Uganda is one of those countries in the world that has actually a lot of experience in dealing with outbreaks of Ebola, Marburg, mm -hmm. Crimean fever. So we have a lot of in-country expertise and a lot of experience in securing borders. Mm -hmm. So that has worked in Uganda's favor to an extent because there are already protocols in place. Immediately, how do you secure a location and all that? And I, that's one of the reasons that's being cited for Uganda's, uh, uh, how we have dealt with the disease to date. But in reality, and I mean, we have traveled in the airports. You have to be tested for yellow fever. You had those kind of protocols. But in reality, the fusion of health and, and, and trade had never been, I think, this much. Mm -hmm. This is the first time in living memory, for, at least for us, that you actually see that you have to have closer relation. Yeah. At the borders, we have been working through joint border committees that bring together all the officials. So trade, immigration, customs and now suddenly you have health and health port health officials were not so common at these borders yes. you had the people checking for uh, fever but that was it and some mm -hmm. sanitizer mm -hmm. and that was it and now suddenly you have to really look around and change all the protocols mm -hmm. how is the border post operating how is the port operating to mitigate disease because we know clearly that one of the ways through which these diseases are transmitted is through movement, movement yeah. of people yeah. and of goods. Right now, the borders remain close to human traffic mm -hmm. beyond trucks, and we are trying to see how do we support the reopening of these border markets, how do we support the reopening of passenger traffic. Because as I say, the communities are so integrated. Yeah. I come from Kabale district. My mom, she grew up traveling on the side to Rwanda. For them, there was no border, yes. you know? And I've been able to travel to Rwanda and back to Uganda normally. Mm -hmm. But now, because of COVID, passengers cannot move mm -hmm. across mm -hmm. borders. Mm -hmm. So some of the things we are working with, we have partnered with AMREF, which is uh, health doctors who are mm -hmm. very well versed with community systems and all to see how we can support the reopening of border markets by putting in place hygiene protocols, mm -hmm. uh, SOPs, standard operating procedures, how should the market operate to reduce transmission, and uh, training, PPE, sensitization. Okay. The fusion of health and trade is here yeah, to stay. Yeah. yeah. And how about the fusion of, of trade and the people lower in the chain? And I'm sorry to use um, that phrase, but do you think truckers, now that we notice them more, will have a voice in decisions like the ones that are being made by the, the, the summit, yeah. by the presidents? How, how is that integration going to happen or how should it happen where we listen more to the communities 
that are impacted by trade. I think this incident, this COVID has forced governments to recognize that, I mean, the power structures. Mm -hmm. The transporters, when they hit, the, they were at one point really, really not happy with the way they were being treated, which was yes. rightly so. They were not being treated fairly, stigmatized, a lot of biases. And yet these yes. are, they are humans like mm -hmm. us. They are transporting our goods. We actually owe them because yes. they are getting out of the comfort of their homes to transport goods across difficult terrain. And so I think they, we've, had a, we've seen a number of strikes at Malaba, mm -hmm. at Rusumo, which is the border with Uganda and, and, and Rwanda and Tanzania, at Namanga, where the truckers are saying enough is enough. Yeah. We do not want to be treated this way. Mm -hmm. We want to have fair treatment, uh, easy access, and the uh, policymakers are listening. Yeah. Everyone is listening. In fact, like with, in creating this app, we made sure we integrated mm -hmm. them in the whole decision-making process. Mm -hmm. How should the app operate? Uh, what are their rights? What are the data protection? So, like, no one should know you, your COVID results. Only the health official mm -hmm. should know your COVID mm -hmm. results, but mm -hmm. not anyone along the, yes. the track route. So we have made sure that all those principles are integrated and the basic rights for the drivers are integrated, but that their voice is also heard. Mm -hmm. The transporters, the truckers, and all those people who are really have this, uh, this, this very important job of transporting goods across uh, a region that requires these critical medicines, critical foods, and everything. Okay. And one of the things that happened during COVID, because of the lockdowns, suddenly it was like the air was clean. We could see clearly. <laughs> I can see clearly now comes to mind. So how do we sustain that clean environment, even as we do trade going forward? That's a very powerful question, Jackie. And it's a question that is critical for us to look at now, not later, mm -hmm. now, in mm -hmm. fact, yesterday. The, the, the power of COVID was that we saw economies, uh, we, we saw green coming back. I'm told populations of fish and different species have really regenerated in this time. But we're already seeing that where economies have opened in Vietnam, Thailand, and all those countries, again, the pollution levels have gone yeah. up. So the we environment were, is at risk again. It's at risk again. We're excited, but how long can we sustain it? Mm -hmm. In our own region, we see many companies and uh, factories being repurposed. So we have a resurgence of industrialization. We had always thought it was too far. Now yeah. it's a reality. Mm -hmm. We're even talking of manufacturing masks to supply the whole of Eastern Africa. We're talking of, of sanitizer to being able to supply the whole region. What does that mean? That again, unless you put in place green uh, systems, you're potentially risking the environment. Yes. Because with increased production, then again with our region, it's very much uh, green in terms of uh, we, we are very agro-based. All our exports, everything is agriculture-based. Mm -hmm. But we have seen a lot of wastage. Mm -hmm. Cabbage, foods, rotting, matoke. What does this do? Rese releases gases as well into the atmosphere. So how do we ensure that we are sustaining a clean environment while promoting trade, while promoting industrialization? Yeah. It's a tension that our leaders are going to have to deal with. But for me, the thing that we are looking at is how do you ensure that you're doing green industrialization? That will mean looking at the processes of manufacturing, ensuring that factories have the basic standard operating procedures in terms of waste uh, disposal. One of the things we have tried to do with the region is one, uh, an initiative called Trade Logistics Clusters, where we are saying, where is growth likely to happen? Mm -hmm. And of course, most of the growth is happening along the corridors, the transport corridors, 
or along areas that are endowed. So, for instance, at the coast, mm-hmm. at the borders, Busia, you will just see people congregating and towns starting to flourish. Yeah. We are saying where we're setting up these trade logistics clusters. Let us support them to start green. So, for yes. instance, if you're manufacturing uh, textiles, apparel, which are a big one for, for the region, or you're doing agro-processing, processing mangoes to juice, pulp, juice and all, make sure that green technologies are being used in the way you dispose of, of the waste, in the way you treat the waste, and in the way just the whole ma- ma- machine production. Let it be green. Mm-hmm. So this is a big one for our region. The tension is real. In fact, one of the examples I always say, if we're having a population boom, and we're going to need housing, how mm-hmm. many trees are those that have to be felled? Yes. And what is replacing them? Yeah. Are there new technologies that can help us build and meet that housing gap without having to fell all our trees? Mm-hmm. Or is anyone planting trees at a level that we're able to match yeah. that? So there are big questions for our region to address. Otherwise, we risk having a growth that is not green and that is not sustainable. Not just for future generations, for Even our generation. for now. Yeah. 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 Wow. Powerful. In your role, if, if I now bring it down to, to what you learned or went through personally, I know we were talking about a moment like COVID really challenging leaders uh, and stretching leaders. So what ways have you been challenged and stretched during this time? Oh, that's a tough one because, uh, I mean, there are moments in this COVID time when I would sit and say, oh my God, we wish for that old you know yes. but i think one of the things we have learned to do and already are saying in our organizations we're not talking about post-covid we are this is the new normal mm-hmm. so one of the things i remember that really really challenged us was just the first few weeks or days were scrambling yes everyone was scrambling and then interestingly people started looking to us we've had airlines come to us and say we are stag- struggling yeah. all our you know all the cargo we were had here was coming through passenger crafts because we didn't have a huge cargo industry mm. in the region. Most of the cargo is by road. And then all the cargo, like if you're exporting flowers or horticulture, it goes in the belly yes. of the passenger craft. Now passenger crafts are out. What happens? So we found, we found airlines repurposing their, their planes to carry cargo in passenger seats. We've seen factories repurposing. Likewise, we had to repurpose our organization. And one of the things we immediately did, because we were, as I said, like many people were all scrambling, what do we do? Let's first look at the safety of our staff. That was the first criteria. How do we safeguard staff? How do we safeguard partners? How do we safeguard contractors? Because we had many projects that were operational. Mm-hmm. So immediately we first did the safeguarding of staff. And then we said, okay, how do we safeguard trade? Yes. So we created a facility called Safe Trade Emergency Facility. And in just a matter of two months, uh, over March and April, were able to raise $23 million and I chair the task force for the safe trade where we are looking at safe trade in a sense because we quickly recognize trade yeah. is good but it's also a potential vector yes. for movement of, mm-hmm. of, of the disease. We said what are the critical aspects and so we looked at safeguarding staff and, and, and others. So the, we have three pillars ensuring that people are safe. So PPE, the tracking up, Testing, we are doing some emergency testing at some of the mm-hmm. borders mm-hmm. Uh, to clear the backlog. You know, containment centers along corridors. If, if you're driving and you're halfway and you, you see what happens. Mm-hmm. 
Then the other second area that we have looked at because it's so, so critical is the whole protocols. How do you get the region to harmonize its decisions? Yes, yes. So you don't have one country talking yes. about one driver and another saying mm -hmm. three drivers mm -hmm. in that truck are allowed. You reach the border, you can't move. So we've been working with the East African community to support the harmonization of those protocols. But also to look at how we can see the region, rather adopt the WHO uh, guidelines and standards on medicines, especially for, for zero taxing taxes. So how can we zero rate, for instance, gloves? How can we zero rate? Many of the things are already zero rated in terms of tariffs. So you, you can import it at zero tax. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But some of them still have tax, ventilators mm -hmm. and the like. Mm -hmm. So can we ensure that the region adopts a zero tax for anything to do with COVID? Medical equipment, you know, medicines and all. And so that has been part of the trade policy work we are doing and supporting the ESC. We are also looking at standards. Do you know that standards from farm to market have to be looked at afresh? Yeah. How do you handle goods? In the US, you've seen all the meat industry. Yeah. People have fallen sick yeah. in factories handling, they're handling beef. You've seen all those, you know, pork, industry, uh, pork beef companies forced to shut down. We don't want to see that happen here. Many of our export markets, especially for say, horticulture, like in the U U EU, European Union, have put in strict guidelines for handling of food. Mm -hmm. So we are trying to work on those standards to ensure that farmers who produce fresh vegetables, Uganda exports fresh vegetables, Kenya exports lots of horticulture, fresh vegetables, flowers, herbs. The handling of that from farm mm -hmm. to market must be in a way that promotes hygiene and reduces the transmission of, of COVID. Mm -hmm. We are also looking at securing uh, supply chains You've seen the price of bananas, matoke fall, plummet. Yes, yes, yes. Because eggs, eggs hit, the yeah. hotels that used to consume yes. this, the schools are all closed. Mm -hmm. What do you do for these suppliers? We've seen people pouring milk. What do you do for these suppliers? So we're trying to work on seeing how we can undisrupt some of these supply chains. Who needs milk somewhere? Who needs eggs? How do you get the eggs from a place where there is excess to a place where there is mm. none? So we're working with some farms to come up with... Uh, platforms that allow for people to do this trade easy, more easily. And we are seeing an, a, a surge in the use of e-commerce. In fact, just yesterday we had a, a session with uh, small business uh, and medium business scale women, traders, on with Facebook. So we had a session just to get more and more people using online platforms. Because if you can know where grain is wanted mm -hmm. or where cereal is wanted mm -hmm. and where it is mm -hmm. it's being produced in excess, then you're able to facilitate that. And then finally, we are seeing how we can support the region's exports to remain because otherwise Uganda will not, will not be able to pay even salaries sorry, or to pay uh, for, for, for workers if we cannot get to that foreign exchange. Yeah. So coffee, tea, cot uh, uh, all our exports, cotton, ensuring that we, we put in place online systems and platforms. So for instance, we've been working with all our tea, Uganda, Rwanda, Kenya is exported through the Mombasa tea auction. And we have supported the automation of that auction. For the first time in 100 years, you can now sell your tea online, wow. which is really groundbreaking. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And we've put in place online trading systems like the electronic single window, where, for instance, all the paperwork that to do with, say, exporting coffee, if you are to export your coffee, all your licenses can now be accessed online. So that also helps trade to yeah, move. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Wow. <laughs> I hear repurpose, right? Repurpose. In the way you think yes. and in the way you act, in the things that you're able to see because now you have to see with new eyes mm -hmm. and act with new eyes. And finally, as we wind down, I think one, one question that's lingering for me 
indeed, as you said, we all went into knee-jerk yeah. mode um, because we were dealing with a crisis mm -hmm. we didn't know about. Do you think coming out of that, we will now remember that together we are better <laughs> and retreat <laughs> from that? I don't yeah. know. Do, do you have a sense? I that think might at a regional level, mm -hmm. the recognition that we are in a porous, I mean, the borders are porous. Yes. We are one. The people are integrated. Yes. You've seen videos on TV of women crossing the river at Swam between Uganda and Kenya to just go and see their communities or to mm -hmm. sell their goods. Unfortunately, we have also had cases of people dying yeah. in the river because the waters are swollen. Yeah. So f clearly, I think the recognition that we are one is coming yeah. closer. Yes, you may contain at country level, but this COVID does not know any borders. Yes. So if you're not seeing what's happening at, in, in your neighbor's side, that that needs to happen. You need to be, you can't say you've closed yourself off and you're okay. Therefore our you're borders yes. are so for us. Yes, so I hope yes. our leadership can see that. At an institutional level, clearly, I think the lesson, a big lesson for anyone, you cannot remain stagnant. Yeah. But we also need new skills to deal with these big adaptive yes. challenges. Many of the things we knew we could do in automation. We knew we could, you know, it was easy to do this. And this is something that has shaken the foundations. And I think one of the things I've seen that really is critical is just building that sort of both the trust, the skills, and the, the bringing people together to first of all brainstorm and think about this problem jointly. Yes. It's not for one person. Yeah. It has shown us that this transcends... <laughs> You know, and we thought it was out there, but it's with us. Mm -hmm. So, how do you together a common approach and a, uh, and a common force to sort of address some of these bigger problems that are too big for one? I think if some of those things can take hold, we'll start seeing how together we can work through the power of the collective, okay. other than just taking individual approaches. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Thank you, and I guess that is a powerful note to end on the reminder that we are one. Yeah. One. yeah. And we need to see each other as such and act together in concert against the threats that are around us. Thank you so much, Alan. Thank it's been you, lovely Jackie. speaking with you. And uh, for our listeners, until next Thursday, thank you so much for joining us today. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you.